Hey there, and welcome to the very first episode of The Sequelizer, a podcast about the follow-up movies worth caring about. If you made it this far by now, thank you for not clicking the pause button. As I just stated, this is a podcast which will be looking at sequels, prequels, threequels, forequels, and basically any kind of film which is spun off of an original idea and meant to carry that idea to another venture. I'm your host, Rob Trench, and on each episode, I will be joined by a special guest to talk about a film which either they have selected to be the topic of discussion, or a brand new film which represents the latest in what Hollywood has to offer. It's no surprise that the film industry is always looking for a great concept that engages with audiences on such a level that they anticipate further installments which follow the same characters or story. 2016 actually marks the 100th anniversary of the very first film sequel, 1916's The Fall of a Nation, a continuation of D.W. Griffith's landmark Races Beyond Comprehension film, The Birth of a Nation. While it has become lost to the vestiges of time, it nonetheless signaled a trend which followed through up until the present day. In fact, you could say that the very idea of these continuation films drives high-budget modern movie making. There is a quality about these films which beckons further analysis. Moviegoers are so overwhelmed with them, especially during the summer months when there is a new sequel every other week. So why not flip around the idea of their construction to look at why they are such an obsession? This is what I hope to get through to the bottom of with this podcast, by looking at an array of films ranging from huge effects-driven blockbusters to small-scale arthouse independent features from the past, present, and looking towards the future. I hope you stick around and listen as this journey through film is undertaken. And now, on with the show. Welcome back to The Sequelizer. On today's episode, we have a very special guest. From all the way out in Hamilton, Ontario, writer, editor, and festival programmer, CJ Prince. How are you doing, CJ? I'm okay. How are you? I'm cool. You're cool? Just yeah. cool? Okay. Yeah, too cool for school. Not really. Uh, no, no. <laughs> I disagree. School, yeah, okay. you're, you're, you're literally in school right now, so. Yeah, that's, like, that's actually a fair point. Um... So thanks for coming on the show. You're the first guest we've ever had. So uh-huh. it's like a really big step. Uh, obviously, we've done podcasts before in the past. Uh, I think I've been on Way Too Indie once or twice with you talking yeah. about, you know, similar kind of format, mm-hmm. obviously. So I'm happy to like, you know, reciprocate that obviously in this way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just want to get the ball rolling. Uh, what is it about sequels that you find interesting? Well, I mean, I think that... Uh... When we talk about, you know, this sounds all like corny at first, but when we talk about, you know, like films, uh, there are a lot of things I think are implied with sometimes with, with discussing films. And one of that is that that line between uh, commodity and art. Uh, it doesn't necessarily come to the forefront, but I mean, I, you know, I've spent four years uh, on Way to Indie and, you know, writing about indie films, you know, being an editor and, and just kind of 
looking at, at everything and noticing that, you know, there's an implication that, you know, a festival premiere, a limited release, you know, having a focus on director or an auteur name, you know, having a production that's not within the studio system will give you like an art label, but something, you know, whatever is playing in your multiplex uh, on any week uh, that comes out randomly, uh, that's just seen as, you know, pure commodity. That's something that is just strictly for padding the pockets of the producers, the distributors, what have you. Um, so it like comes down to a matter of like distinction. It's like, this thing has a festival label. It's considered to be like a more serious product, whereas something that's made within like the studio, you know, sense of output and it just goes right to theaters isn't treated as. Yes, yeah, it's, it's not. I, I feel people, you know, that they'll they'll judge these on on different merits. I think because you know something has a, a level of prestige or quality or curation with it, whereas something is just kind of going out in theaters. But the the idea that the line that, say, divides mainstream and indie is, is very similar to the same line as, you know, dividing a commodity and art is, I think it, it falls apart, you know, very quickly once you look into it. Um, and that's why I'm interested in sequels, because sequels, I think, are a great example of that happening. They're, it's, it's you know, one of the most explicit examples of something that exists as pure commodity, you know, something that is, uh, for the most part, created because of the success they want to replicate or improve upon the success of something else. Uh, like the film we're talking about today is a good example. It was created because of, you know, financial uh, reasons. But uh, there are many cases where, you know, sequels will actually seize that opportunity and they'll take advantage, um, you know, the ability to, you know, continue operating within a particular universe, you know, focus on certain characters, explore different storytelling possibilities, a whole bunch of things. So I find sequels interesting because they're kind of smack dab in that middle uh, of the intersection between, you know, artistic and financial interests. And sometimes what comes out from that, I think, is can be really, really fascinating. For sure. I mean, like, to me, I think the best sequels are the ones which go up and above the quality of the original film. They actually try to be not quite standalone, but they are trying to operate within a sense that they're trying to only be, you know, a director will only make it if he knows he can make it better than the original, I guess. Or, like, actually try something new. And I think that what we're looking at today is a perfect example of that as well. Uh, what are some of your favorite sequels, just if you have, like, a little short list of things, I guess? Um, yeah, you asked me before, so I, I decided to come up with a few titles. I mean, I think the obvious example, and I feel like, as guests come on, you might hear this a lot, would be, you know, Before Sunset, which is that rare example of, I think, some a sequel that is made, you know, more for artistic reasons than uh, financial ones. But, um, you know, as, as a cheap excuse to kind of push to recommend this, I, I will I will count Three Colors Red as a sequel, even though it kind of isn't. But um, for examples of, you know, things that are just fine or great sequels, I would say um, Johnny Toe's Election 2, uh, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, and Fast Five... Dawn of the Dead, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, uh, The Devil's Rejects, and uh, The Dark Knight. Awesome. That's a really good like list of, I guess, more tilted towards, I guess, contemporary fare. Yeah. Um, I'm interested in why you include something like Ghost Protocol or like uh, the fast later Fast movies. I feel like those are two franchises where they've had like an interesting roster of directors come into, you know the uh, workhouse i guess and they've done their own spin on that and in a sense those films have been like retconned from like their original purpose i mean you have something like the later fast movies where they went from being like you know underground street racing films to being like heist films it's like you know almost like the uh you know more intense more adrenaline focused like oceans movies 
mm-hmm. or something like the later, the last two Mission Impossible films. They've had directors like uh, Brad Bird and Christopher McQuarrie, and seeing someone like Brad Bird direct, he has his because he's based in like animation. The way in which he kind of composes his like you know sequences from like camera angles to just like you know simple direction, the construction of them just makes for such like, you know, elaborate you know sequences, and it's just interesting kind of seeing how you can uh, have a series that has all these different kind of voices coming in and shaping it and doing their own spin on things to be so versatile, I guess. Mm. Well, it's like, I mean, it's, it's the same logic as you can apply to like, you know, television series, for instance, where, you know, how can you have all these different writers and directors come in yet still kind of, uh, all manipulate themselves to kind of respect the, the core idea of, of the creator or the showrunner or whoever. But for me, it's, it's, um, I would say that for Fast Five and, and Ghost Protocol in particular, they're just really great examples of like just straight up craftsmanship and, and working on that specific level of, you know, the big blockbuster that I think they're really effective and you can see an evolution. I think with Fast Five, you see this evolution for something that's uh, much more, it's expands in scope significantly and that's what i like about sequels when they do expand and they kind of evolve and and, and change in a way that kind of um not necessarily i mean i'm i'm fine with the sequel retreading but as long as it feels like it's for the purpose of of, you know going towards something that's bigger or different from what came before and i feel like fast five is a great example of that uh ghost protocol i feel just constantly is trying to one-up itself with these very um just like almost perfectly crafted like action sequences and and thrill thrilling sequences and um like you said about brad bird his direction on there uh is really good and that that's what i think it boils down to when i am watching a sequel and i can see some sort of uh change and expansion and yeah something that is uh going it's it's somewhat different but different in the sense that um it's adding it's building upon what's already been there right and another film you touched on just a few minutes ago there was uh, Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. I'm taking it you mean the Romero. Of course, yes. Okay. Yes. I mean, I like... I, I like Zack Snyder's movie. I think that's the best thing he's done. But uh, yes, I'm obviously Great. referring to... Um, it's hard to really say... Can you say that Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead is a sequel considering it was just a remake and it wasn't actually, you know, a sequel of another remake? Right, exactly. So it's a yeah. remake of a sequel. But it's interesting because Romero's thing... I mean, if you didn't know he directed it, you would think it's just like a regular zombie movie you wouldn't know it's actually like a continuation of night of the living dead which had come out like two decades beforehand mm-hmm. you know so i think that's actually a great idea of what you're just talking about because that's a film which builds upon the idea of the original it imagines the threat of like this like you know nuclear holocaust where the dead are rising above and like you know crippling society along with these other kind of uh you know sub levels of like you know social commentary of course uh, to be like kind of like a really interesting meditation on, uh, I guess, all these different aspects. But it's like, it's a film, it's a sequel with like a pulse to it, right? And in yeah. some ways, I think it's even better than the original. It's a film which, as you say, it's so good they decided to make it again, right? Yeah, I, I, I haven't, I can't say. I mean, I definitely do really like Dawn of the Dead. I, 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 I haven't seen Night of the Dead, and, Night of the Living Dead, in so long. I, I, I don't want to 
start declaring that one's better than the other because I'd have to rewatch. But um, yeah, there there um, it definitely is an example of that. It, it's it's exploring the same universe but in a completely different area. And what you're seeing is the core is still there. There's really like really surprising insightful social commentary. There's tension. There's horror. There there's the the things that made Night of the Living Dead so um great and so impactful are still there in Dawn of the Dead. It's just exploring that through a different avenue and i think that is what a sequel should be and like what it, what an ideal sequel should be right that makes for a really good uh i guess transition into like what our main focus on today's episode will be yes. uh sam Raimi's evil dead 2 uh we'll just take a short break and when we return we'll go right into that film Okay, and we're back. Uh, to, on today's episode, we are looking at Sam Raimi's Evil Dead 2, classic horror comedy sequel, uh, which is an offshoot of 1981's Evil Dead. Uh, this is actually a personal favorite film of mine. I've seen this like countless times, uh, you know, at home and in the theater. And it, I'm really happy that we can be having this discussion on the film because it seems to me to be a beloved cult classic. It's also a very you know prominent film within the annals of 80s horror cinema. Uh, just to start off, if you haven't seen the movie before, it starts off with Bruce Campbell, who plays Ash, Ashley J. Williams, and he is battling these demonic forces in this abandoned cabin in the woods. All these you know terrible kind of like you know fucked up things happen, really grotesque, but also like a side of slapstick as well. It's honestly unlike most horror films you've probably ever seen before, but it's not hard to see why it's in the hallmarks of some of the greatest. Uh, CJ, what did you think about this film, if this is the first or several time you've seen it, I guess? Oh no, I've I've seen uh, both Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2. I actually rewatched them uh, last yesterday to the day before this this taping uh, to um, prepare for this. And I mean, I was a little surprised because it's been a while. Like, I mean, I really cherished Evil Dead 2 when I was younger. Uh, I watched Evil Dead. Remember, I watched it when I was really young. Um, watched it the first time alone, and I thought it was awful. And then I watched it with a group of friends the second time, and I loved it because it just worked on a whole other level. We were just like laughing and really embracing it. But um, Watching it now, these it was a little surprising that I, the two films didn't really hold up for me as strongly as I remember them in the past. Uh, not that they were bad, it was just kind of more like a, a reality check in a way. But, um, you know, the first film is, it's like very cheap, schlocky, but it has a lot of really impressive qualities to it. You know, it has a really, I think the concept is still really horrific. Uh, the performances are not, you know, as bad as you would expect given this is just like a low budget, really tiny uh, film. And the camera work is still really impressive, like even today. Uh, Evil Dead 2 is just, it's, it's just a bigger film, both in like, you know, budget and ambition, partially a retread, but, um, you know, increases the scale dramatically, uh, much leaner film. I was actually surprised that Evil Dead 2 was much, was it like a few minutes shorter than the first one, considering it has, uh, more story and more characters. But, um, I think it's, it's, you know, as I said, this is a, this is 
a case of um, a sequel that exists for financial reasons. You know, it has it was made for a wider appeal. Sam Raimi made this because he just made a previous film that tanked, and he right. was afraid his career was going to go sour, so he decided to make this. Uh, and so, you know, the gore is toned down from the first one uh, to secure an R rating rather than an X rating. It's designed more to have broad entertainment and thrills, uh, just in a way that's more accessible than the first film. Uh, it's still quite on its own universe in a lot of respects but it's still a bit more accessible but um you know given these conditions or you know what some might even call limitations uh i think the film really thrives it's really entertaining and i think that contributes to why some people might even consider this to be the real first you know proper evil dead film because definitely everything since then has kind of used this as the template in the series rather than the first one right i agree uh i remember actually i watched the original trilogy uh, one night, like in high school, back to back to back. And I felt that Evil Dead 2 is definitely my favorite of the bunch, even though I appreciated the weird detour which Army of Darkness kind of takes in terms of not being so much a horror film as it is like a medieval adventure film. Yeah. Uh, that's sort of like a non sequitur. But uh, I do really like love Evil Dead 2 just because the first movie, Evil Dead, is so straight on in terms of being like a genuine horror film. It's really hard to enjoy a lot of it. Whereas this one, it has like this interesting kind of blend of, you know, horror and like grotesque, you know, quality, but it's also like really weird tongue in cheek humor as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know Sam Raimi, he said that, you know, stuff like the Three Stooges was a huge influence on a lot of the more weirder parts of the film where Ash is just losing his mind in the cabin and all the things start talking to him and he just, you know, is just being fucked with by like the spirits, which are bounding everywhere. Um, it's like unmistakably like goofy, but like it has this like level of camp quality to it as well, which I think like has allowed it to, you know, remain like a very popular film in the, you know, several years since it came out. Um, I was also just going to say, what do you think about, like, Bruce Campbell? Because I think he is a huge, like, you know, cult, you know, figure. And this is the movie that really cemented him as a, you know, person to watch. Obviously, he's been making films of Sam Raimi before this came out. But he's, like, you know, kind of continued to, like, mark that relationship. But as well, I feel like everything he's kind of done since then is, like, a result. Like, it all kind of leads back to this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, watching both Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 back-to-back, it's even more surprising, and it shows that I think that he is uh, probably the most impressive or the best aspect of Evil Dead 2, because you watch the first film, and he's just, you can tell he's this, like, young and experienced actor, he's, you know, playing this sympathetic nice guy, and then he just, you know, shifts completely, uh, partially because you can tell he's probably just more confident as an actor since then. It's been, you know, so, uh, like five or six years since the first one. But, um, you know, also the, the the film demands it. He's kind of just completely gone off the deep end at this point. But, um, you know, like he's just, he, he takes, you know, everything thrown his way in this movie, both like literally and figuratively. And he does like really just amazing physical uh acting uh and i mean i love how you can watch these three films and you can see like the progression of bruce campbell from like this just young actor to kind of the bruce campbell we know uh today right i think like one reason for so many like you know fans like liking his persona just seems to me he seems to be like the atypical like alpha beta male i mean like his character is supposed to be like this kind of nerd but he is like he's kind of like very like kind of tone physique. He's seems like a real like it's easy for like you know any sort of person just kind of project themselves into his shoes in this kind of crazy or like larger than life situation. Mm-hmm. 
Um, at least just for me personally, I don't know. Maybe it's just like what I see. I think he, no, I agree. He has, he definitely has an everyman quality and, and he definitely gives out the feeling of just like, I mean, he can have this absurd, I mean, definitely if you look at now, if you watch, you know, Ash vs. Evil Dead or, um, you know, stuff since Army of Darkness, or at least since Evil Dead 2, um, you know, he's, he's become way more brash and stuff, but he did have that kind of everyman quality. You do feel like he is just kind of this guy thrown into the situation and, and is able to, to, you know, uh, you know, stand up to evil or whatnot that, that helps. But, um, you know, and he's also just incredibly charismatic and, and funny at the same time. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like the whole film just kind of rests on his shoulders and like evil dead two has such a small cast. There's only about, you know, seven main actors who aren't playing like fake shemps or like anything like that. Um, I just also wanted to just kind of touch on this. I think the way in which you said that evil dead two is sort of interesting because it's a sequel, which is, made for purely financial reasons like you know sam raymond's career was going like down the tube and he needed just to kind of go back to like the work shed and sort of like try to like you know take another stab at this idea but what's interesting to me is because he wasn't able to use original footage from the evil dead in this film so in a sense he actually had to retcon certain aspects of what happened in order to set this film off so in a sense there's been this long debate about the film whether it's actually like a remake of the first Evil Dead film or if it's a true sequel mm-hmm. or if it's something which exists in between that level. Yeah, there's the there's the the I like the theory that um like he escaped the cavern from the first movie, had another girlfriend named Linda and was just stupid enough to go back with her <laughs> a second time. I like that theory, but um I you know, it's funny because yeah, what my memory of these movies as younger is actually like confusion because I watched Evil Dead 2 first. And then I watched Evil Dead years later, and I was like, well, this is the same thing. Like, it was just so familiar. And then I went back and watched Evil Dead 2, and I was like, this is the, like, this is the same thing, but it's not the same? Like, it was so confusing to me um, watching as younger. And I like how... I actually do like how the series is just really poor when it comes to, like, continuity. Um, but... You know, like that. Th- what you just said is kind of like the the proper explanation. They couldn't get the rights to the first film's footage, um, and because of budgetary restraints and time restraints, he couldn't uh, have five characters in that opening sequence. So he just boiled it down to Ash and Linda, and then kind of rewrote it in that sense. Um, so for me, though, because the continuity is so like just loosey goosey or something. I mean, I I take like a I take like a buffet approach. So I just pick and choose what I want, and I consider them sequels. I consider direct sequels, so I just basically think, like, you know, the first film takes place, Ash at the end burns the book, and then, um, you know, and then, then after the evil comes from him again, that's kind of where uh, Evil Dead 2 starts. Um, and what's interesting is, uh, I noticed this watching it again, that uh, in the end of the first film, the book is just, he burns it. But in the sequel, it's still intact. It's not burned. And yet, when you watch the sequel, they never actually use the book. The pages that are read from are the um, the pages that Annie finds on her expedition. So you could technically just not even, uh, you know, the book doesn't really get used at all in part two. So you can just push that away. So I look at it as kind of, um, it's sort of a remake. I take that whole section as, as kind of like its own little interesting remake with, with Ash and Linda. And then, um, but overall, I look at the two and I look at it as a direct sequel and I just kind of make my own connective tissue between the two. For sure. I mean, it's not so much of a remake as it is like a retcon, I think, of like the film. Yeah, retcon, definitely. Um, that That's that's probably a more accurate way to put it. I mean, it's, 
yeah, I mean, he kind of just changes it up. What I like is that you you can really just watch Evil Dead 2 and not really have to watch the first one. You can just kind of look at that as the starting point of everything. Um, you can take either or, really. But, uh, yeah, I just kind of, I, I find, yeah, the, the, the connective tissue between the two is really the, the murky waters in terms of figuring out, you know, what happens. Um, right. But, yeah, that's basically it. And I feel like with the sequel, what I think is so great about it is it explores these, like, you know, themes not so much touched upon in, like, horror sequels where it's so, you know, dependent on you know, amplifying what the first film was about. In this one, there's actually such a weird detour. It has this kind of theme of, like, you know, the aftermath of, like, you know, the event. So if you want to pretend, like, the two movies are connected in this kind of weird sort of, like, parallel way, it's, like, what happens after, like, you know, everyone's gone and it's just this guy and he's, like, left alone and he's trying to face off all these, like, threats. Uh, And what I think makes the film even more compelling is there's this kind of change in like the direction. It's not so much like a straight on horror film. It's actually like a slapstick comedy horror with all these also very impressive set pieces and going to like really crazy dimensions as well. Uh, You know, you have scenes like Bruce Campbell, he's fighting for his life. He ends up like, you know, cutting off his own arm so he can stay alive. And like probably one of the most grisly sequences I've probably ever seen in a movie, even like with the tone intact, like, Mm -hmm. Um, in some ways though, I do feel like all these like visual gags in the film and all these kind of like, you know, now famous one liners actually help because all of these like brutal sequences, you know, it helps to maybe dilute them, I guess, and go down easier and just kind of makes the whole act of revisiting the film, not so much of a, you know, kind of weird, I guess, affair. It's actually like your, you know, jazz kind of go back because it satisfies so many different elements and everything. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I, uh, watching it, I was like, they just, the demons in the first one feel so, um, they are, like, the, the idea behind it is, is scary that these people get their bodies taken over and they're kind of, their soul is just gone, and, uh, and the second one is just more, like, mischievous, like, but it, it's, it has, like, a quality of mischief, but at the same time, like, the stakes are still established, like, it's showing that, that, you know, there, this is still really, like a bad situation like you said it has a grisly quality it's funny that he's you know cutting off his hand and uh you know the whole that whole sequence with his hand is great but at the same time like you know you, you can see you can register the horror of him having to to go that far but i think um part of why i wanted to, to this is why uh part of why i wanted, wanted to pick this because you asked me which movie to pick for uh, the episode, uh, it, it's interesting because this is not really ground ba- groundbreaking for a horror film in this sense. Um, this is actually, I think, following a trend in the 80s. You have these horror comedy mixtures like American Werewolf in London, Return of the Living Dead, Gremlins, Reanimator. So this was already going on in the 80s well before Evil Dead 2. And this is not even the only, the first sequel to really do this either. I mean, you can look at, at Toby Hooper did Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, I think, the year before. Right. A month earlier... I looked this up a month earlier, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors came out. It's kind of crazy to imagine those two came out so close to each other. Right. But um, this one, I think, has probably the most impact and influence, I think, because unlike, I, I, it's it's hard to explain, but I mean, this one is so kind of unhinged and deranged in the way it has, uh, it t- tackles comedy and horror. I think that with other films, you can kind of separate the comedy and horror but this one it's kind of like the comedy comes through the horror and the horror comes through the comedy um they're so enmeshed with each other that um 
I think that's that's why it, it it's feels so on its own. It feels so distinctive, and I think that that's also just one of Sam Raimi's you know traits as a director. But I think that's part of what's gone on to become the whole Evil Dead series uh, defining traits. Right. I think it's interesting you brought up uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. There, which is a film where Toby Hooper he didn't just want to emulate the original film. In fact, he wanted to make a film that was specific for its cult audience that only like they would have gotten. So this is actually that film is a complete 180 on like what the first film was all about Mm -hmm. you know it doesn't at all feel like oh it's a bunch of teenagers going back to the you know old you know farmstead and getting like cut up it's actually like quite odd in the way in which it's composed and And evil dead 2 is like you know similar in that regard yeah it's it's kind of you know building upon the original and then going down this other road whereas you know toby hooper is doing something completely different and toby hooper was you know like destroyed for doing that uh sam raimi on the other hand you know uh, had a much nicer reputation, although I think it's it's more so to do with you know one film just people didn't just thought was bad, whereas right. you know the other one, uh, you know was was better. <laughs> I think yeah. I think it really boils down to that uh, in that instance. But yeah, it's right that that um, it's interesting to me how you know reading up and looking at the film that this wasn't exactly reinventing the wheel or doing anything that was you know out of the ordinary in terms of, of being you know a mix of horror and comedy or being a sequel that that's taking a different tonal approach but because of the way it was done it has that reputation of being kind of like uh something people point back to as a really influential film right in fact i think it's actually so influential you may disagree with me on this but the uh the remake of evil dead which uh, fede alvarez made back in 2013 I feel like that's more indebted to Evil Dead 2 than Evil Dead. Even though there's no real comedy to be found in that, it's just like, you know, the lengths to which a lot of these, like, sequences kind of come about, really. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Like, that's why I say I feel, I feel like, when I said earlier, I feel like Evil Dead 2 is the one that really is the one everyone points back to. Evil Dead, it feels like in a way that some, in some ways it feels like Evil Dead is kind of like, you know they had the chance to do it again so let's try to just do what we we're doing but make it like bigger and 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 better um it it really just like you rarely see anything evil dead related in in the years uh after evil dead 2 that that resembled the first one they all kind of uh point back to the sequel of course uh are there any final thoughts you have just on evil 2 did too as we're wrapping up now or um i'd say i think it's it's one of the very rare cases for me where i would actually recommend the sequel over the original one i think um because it has the 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 retcon as you say um and even though i look at it as as a direct sequel um i i do think that you know it is an improvement upon the first one in a lot of ways um it it is more um resemblance of of you know what's to come in the series afterwards so i mean i would say that if anyone's new to the series that actually evil dead might be a evil dead 2 would be a better starting point and then you could go back and watch the first one as kind of out of curiosity um to see where it started um but yeah i mean it's it's you know it's a film that i still um i really cherished it when i was younger um you know really like as a young little you know genre fan i really uh like the movie a lot uh it's still very fun very entertaining really imaginative um, and I think it's a great case, you know, the sequel that does change things up without kind of losing the essence of what made uh, it, its predecessor so successful. Exactly. It's one of those rare 80s horror sequels, which has like stood the test of time. It's been like hugely influential. 
it you know made the careers or kind of like resuscitated the careers of Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell mm -hmm. and it's no surprise to me the fact that this movie is still being like you know re-released on home video today and it has still one of the most active audiences for like a specific I guess genre film uh from that time period uh there's just like no bones about it this is easily one of my favorite horror films what like bar none what is your favorite part of the sequel my favorite part yeah probably uh you know when it's the part where they what's it called again uh, what's the name of the person in, like in the basement it's like talking oh henrietta about again. henrietta yeah that's played by t uh his brother ted yeah. Remy, actually like just that kind of moment there where all the you know weird parts of the blood and everything mm -hmm. i sound like i'm not doing a very good description of it here right now <laughs> uh I'm a little bit scattered brain but I, yeah i i I bring this up because when I was watching again, I remember there was one part where I was very young and when I saw it again, I, I still remember, I always laugh. It's when Linda digs herself up digs herself up out of the ground and then does her dance with her severed head. But it's not that part. It's it's when she like she like finishes her dance and then she leaps behind the tree and you just hear her go, Ah <laughs> it's this very weird noise she makes. And that's always stuck in my brain. I watched it again. I just couldn't help laughing. Because it's just like this weird like this weird like celebratory sound she makes as she kind of leaps off and vanishes into the forest out of nowhere. She's still like so proud of herself. She's like know? so happy that she did this dance. <laughs> uh I think with that, that's our talk on Evil Dead 2. Uh I'd like to thank you, CJ, for coming on for this inaugural episode of the Sequelizer. Uh, is there anything that you'd like to plug, I guess, before, you know, we go? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, if you care to see, uh, or read any of my, any of my writing, you can visit, uh, the site way2indie.com, that's 2-T-O-O, -O. um, and, and you can check, uh, stuff out, I do just, you know, reviews, features, uh, cover festivals and stuff. I am on Twitter as well, um, I say a lot of things on there that are, uh, as I usually say, they, they can legally be defined as jokes. Um, they're they're very stupid, and people have called them annoying, stupid, and once in a while someone says it's funny. But uh, my handle is CJ underscore Prin. It's CJ underscore P R I N because my uh, last name was my, the handle of my last name was taken, so um, the CE had to go, much like oh. Francis Ha. But um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, anyone out there, if you have a podcast, put me on your goddamn podcast. And if you do have a podcast, you should definitely do that. And you should definitely listen to CJ's writing on Way Too Windy and Twitter because he's one of the best people I follow. And anytime he has one of his like snarky quips, he definitely makes my day. Well, thank you. you. Really do. No problem. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> well, that's our first episode of The Sequelizer. If you would like to subscribe to us, you can do so on iTunes through the Talk Film Society podcast network. You'd also find us on SoundCloud and on iTunes, and on Tumblr. Thanks for listening. I'm Rob Trench. Go watch the sequel. <laughs>